Sorry. Speaking of presidents, Obama's coming to my neighborhood, my little neighborhood, next Wednesday. Oh, really? Whenever yeah. he goes, whenever he goes to Orange County, he doesn't fuck with Fullerton or any of the poor areas. He goes to like you know the Richie bitch areas. Welcome to this the Abandoned Theater Podcast as part of the Speakers and Screens blog, um, which you can find over at speakersscreens.tumblr.com if you're not familiar already. <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm Robert Beck. I am a writer for Speakers and Screens and um, a podcaster. <laughs> and, and podcaster. And this is when you introduce yourself as co-host. I am the co-host of Abandoned Theater Speakers and Screens podcast, TJ Dwayne. I feel like I'm dominating over you by like starting, even though we're even though we're on you know equal levels, and you know you you know you know way more about film than I do. So I, th- I think next I think we should alternate weeks as far as when we start. You know, it sounds it sounds fine by me. I I always just let you do it because you're the more practiced podcaster. Oh yeah, well, I suppose. You are the veteran. <clears throat> I am the rookie. <laughs> okay, uh, today we're going to be talking about uh, three or four three or four new films, some some old films with TJ, and uh, some some uh, anticipated some films that we're anticipating for the rest of the year. But uh, first, um, Comic Con is among us. As we speak, and uh, there's already been some pretty big developments uh, in. Well, uh, TJ, you take it away and introduce it. About a half hour ago, not for people listening, but for us recording, they announced that there is a Batman Superman team up movie on the horizon for 2015. They introduced it with the quote from the famous Frank Miller. <laughs> Graphic novel, The Dark Knight Returns, where Batman is fighting Superman. And it's a big climactic moment, spoiler alert, I guess, of that graphic novel. But Zack Snyder is going to direct. Goyer is going to write. I think he's co-writing it. Um, And they will... And Nolan's taking a back seat. He's moving to executive producer. Um, I have a feeling this is going to be even more Zack Snyder-y. Probably a little bit more like Watchmen. Um, I'm think, uh, yeah. That yeah. And and actually, of every Zack Snyder movie I've ever seen, <clears throat> watch. I think Watchmen is easily my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Even even including uh, Man of Steel, which yeah. um, I have seen and you haven't. Um, the correct. The well, I mean, Watchmen's flawed, but I really like. Oh, definitely. I really like how 
loyal he was, even though he changed the climax of the story. Uh, and I think he messed with the tone a little too much. But what happens, quote unquote, he did a pretty good job. And yeah, I, I, I honestly, I, I still think that, you know, you know, Watchmen. People have gone on about how oh, it's unfilmable. It's still <laughs> unfilmable. I mean, yeah, yeah. Special effects have really caught up to where some of the zany comic book aspects of it can be recreated. But hey, you still no, no, at least not mm-hmm. in one film. And I, th- I honestly think that Zack Snyder did the best that he could. Uh, l- 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 like it, it's the it's the best Watchmen movie that we're probably ever gonna get, even though it's not up to par with a novel in any way. I agree. Uh, which Alan Moore adaptation do you like more, that or League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? No, um, uh, <laughs> um V for v- Vendetta. Yeah, V for Vendetta. <laughs> Uh, I, I have some ethical issues with Fever Vendetta um, mm-hmm. that I don't want necessarily want to get into now. So probably mm-hmm. watch probably Watchmen, I guess. Yeah. Um, but um, we digress. Uh, the 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 beef I have with Man of Steel is for the first hour or so, it's it's this, it's very serious. But I I love the first hour of it, and mm-hmm. it's it's very moving. I mean, I mean. Uh, all the stuff in in Krypton, in, in the very beginning, is just so so moving and so heartbreaking, and and especially the scenes with uh, young young Clark Kent and his parents, mm-hmm. uh, played wonderfully by Kevin Costner, his his dad, they're just moving. I, I was almost brought to tears. Nice. And the way that they did the whole they they did they framed the backstory in, in an interesting way. It wasn't it's not a linear way. Like there's there's scenes with Superman as an adult intercut with him as a child. I mean, it's a really creative way that they did the whole backstory thing. But out of out of fucking nowhere, I mean, as the General Zod stuff started kicking in, the movie got progressively and progressively more ridiculous. And by that, I mean, it just turned into one gigantic, bloated, long battle scene. After another, I mean, it it, it it becomes a complete completely different movie, and there's the let's just say there's more carnage and probably a bigger body count in in that movie than probably any other movie I've seen in the summer so far. I mean, there's such like nine eleven imagery with that movie that I that might be implied, might not be implied, but. It just totally rubbed me the wrong way, and it became a much more cynical movie than it ever needed to be. And I think it's a great segue into our first big movie topic. Yeah, um, because this is one of the lesser disappointing summer blockbusters to come out, mm-hmm. uh, and we're talking about Pacific Rim. Now, I feel like whenever we introduce a movie, someone one of us needs to explain the you know explain the plot of it to people who might not be familiar with it um so i'll i'll take a crack at explaining the plot of pacific rim sounds great monsters versus robots there we go (laughs) um well (laughs) accurate accurate this is basically uh director and um producer guillermo del toro his big love letter basically to old 1960s Japanese kaiju films or monster movies for those uninitiated. Also, and all you know, there's definitely elements of old 
a Japanese TV series like Ultraman, which uh, I unashamedly watched in Saturday mornings as a child. And uh, also, you know, Evangelion is uh, is a is a, a clear influence here as well. But yeah, but basically, <laughs> this is giant monsters fighting. I don't want to say giant robots. They're technically not robots. Guillermo, mm-hmm. I saw an, an, an interview with Guillermo del Toro where he was very serious about this. They're not robots <laughs> because there's people inside of the robots or the big mechanical things controlling them. <clears throat> um, one, let me get a negative out of the way. They make the very conscious choice of calling the monsters kaiju. I mean, throughout the whole movie, it's yeah. it, it becomes part of the, the the language of the film. But they call the ro- the giant robot suits Jaegers instead of mechas. Mm-hmm. What? This the this was this was clearly clearly bad judgment by the by by everyone involved. I, I was I was angered at this. Is it um is it a way to separate it from other mecha stories or is it or do you think that it really hurts the the language the nomenclature of the film? <laughs> Okay, I'm I'm bullshitting all of you. I'm I'm I'm, I'm I, I couldn't care less. <laughs> okay, got me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it it would have made much more sense if they called if if you know if they want to be, you know, accurate. Call yeah. them, call them <laughs> call them mecha like they do in all those, all the other Japanese movies. I but I so. I also really like this movie. I think it's a lot of fun. And it does kind of bring that nostalgia that makes you feel like a kid. Yeah. And also, I think it's successfully a love letter. I mean, um, you wonder if a love letter, because this—I mean—it's pretty much the primary um, function of this film. I think is you—you you, you begin to wonder is a love letter enough to justify its existence? And I think it does a lot of interesting things that keeps it in the realm of. I'm glad this exists. This is the best blockbuster. Of the year so far. Yeah, definitely. I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I love this movie. I love this movie to death. I mean, <clears throat> it's it's cert- it's certainly flawed. I mean, I don't think anyone's gonna look at this and as as an instruction manual as to how to write a movie. Nope. Okay. <laughs> um, but at well, the same, oh, sorry, go on. Um, I have two big issues with the movie, and it keeps me from saying that this is like one of the best blockbusters I've ever seen, you know, up to, up to the level of the sort of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, canonical popcorn fun movies, you know? Yeah. And the first one is Charlie Hunnam. <laughs> I did not like him in this movie. Um, his character, maybe it was Beecham's screenplay. Um, maybe he was just underwritten and the actor couldn't figure it out. But his line deliveries are so flat. And I just did not care. And the other, his rival, the Australian character, I like that guy more almost, even though his character was kind of a punk, simplistic punk. I almost felt like I got more emotional resonance from him. Uh, I'm really glad Idris Elba and, uh, and, uh, the Japanese girl, you're talking about her, right? Kiko, uh, Kiko, yeah, no, uh, Kiko Kikuchi, Rinko Kikuchi. 
<laughs> I am t- I'm terrible at life. But um, her first name I'm, was Rinko. Yeah, it's Rinko Kikuchi who plays Mako. Drinko. And, you said Drinko. Drinko, oh, I'm thirsty. Um, <laughs> but she does she does a really good job in this movie. And actually, the actress who played the younger version of Mako. Um, oh my god! Really, she did a really good job of pulling the heartstrings. That and, that that scene. I'm I'm sorry that that scene with the younger version of Rinko Kikuchi's character. Mm-hmm. is terrifying. I mean, there's nothing else in this movie that's particularly scary, at least, you know, if you're if you're not a, a child, at least. You know, everything else is just, wow, fun, epic. That scene is legitimately terrifying. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as scary as anything I've seen in a horror movie this year so far. Oh, absolutely. It, you, you, again, the movie is making you constantly feel that nostalgic feeling of being a kid again, having that sort of fun. And in that, you feel like a kid who's scared out of his or her mind. It's the one moment where where you take giant monsters attacking the city and you take it completely seriously as 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 a life-threatening thing that is that is happening. Mm-hmm. It's, easily, it's easily my favorite scene in the movie. And then when Idris Elba comes and saves the day, it's really, I mean, if you feel the sort of uh, resonance and the sort of heroism, I mean, the movie really does hit home with what it means to be the sort of like hero, you know, working together, the sort of not cynical version of the action movie blockbuster. And I, and I love my dark blockbuster. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll gush all day about how much I love the Dark Knight, but sometimes it's just nice to feel really good. Yeah. Um, and I hear what you're saying about Charlie Dunham. Is that, is that the dude's name? He's on Sons uh, of Anarchy. He's on Sons of Anarchy, and yeah. he's on Sons of Anarchy, and I don't watch Sons of Anarchy, so I'm not completely familiar with him. But <clears throat> I hear what you're saying, and I thought that at first, but uh, it got to a point where I just didn't, I just didn't give a shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean there, there's so many other things going on, like Charlie Day, and um, Charlie Day is a really welcome, well, welcome change of pace. Yeah, I mean, as he, is Ron Perlman. Oh man, Ron Ron Perlman, <laughs> I. He he has a he has a fairly small role, but he makes a lot. He does a lot with that small role. And don't leave before the credits are done. Yeah, yeah, don't leave. Um, but Charlie Day, I mean, he's the standard. You know, he could have been the standard a wacky scientist that adds comic relief, but he plays a major major part in this movie. I mean, there's a he's he's in it way more than I thought he was going to be. Mm-hmm. And you know he plays a such a pivotal part in it, and I was really happy to see that. And speaking of which, I really enjoy the mythology that mm-hmm. they sort of create with this movie. Um, the way the Jaegers, or the Mecca, as I like to call them, are operated is there has to be two pilots because I don't know something about controlling controlling uh, a Mecca with one mind is too much. So there's two pilots, and they do this thing called. Uh, it's like drifting or something like that. When you see the movie, you'll you'll they explain it a little more than I can because it's been a week since I've seen it. But I thought that was really cool. And there's and Charlie, uh, I'm just gonna call him Charlie because I can't remember remember his character's name. He, Riley Beckett. Are, are you talking about uh, Charlie Day? Charlie Day. Oh, okay, Doctor uh, uh, Geitzler. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> he he does that with monsters at a couple points in the movie Mon- monster brains yeah and and that's that's super cool i thought mm-hmm. 
And, I mean, the, with a lot of recent sci-fi movies, I have a, I have, I have a problem with like mythology that feels really undercooked. I mean, mm-hmm. w- one example I could think of. I know you probably like this movie more than I did, but uh, Looper that was released last year. I had a problem yeah. with the mythology in that movie being kind of undercooked and underexplained. With mm-hmm. this movie, with this movie, I feel, I felt satisfied with it. I feel like there's a genuine, you know, you know, the, there's a logic to it that I really, that I really like. It's not, they don't just kick out the rules once, once it becomes convenient for them to do. Oh, absolutely. Um, the other issue I had with this movie, again, does not keep me from saying I love it because I do. I, I would add this to my quote unquote love list because yeah. it was just incredibly enjoyable, but all right, I'm going to give you a plot of a movie, and I want you to tell me what movie this is. All right, Earth is attacked by an alien force that goes from planet to planet, just wiping out all life, using the planet's <laughs> resources, and moving on. It, it destroys major cities and major monuments as a sort of symbol of against this uh, race of uh, us, humans. Uh, many iconic images uh, of destroying monuments and things that we built then everyone works together. The military, you get the sort of worldwide um, uplifting message that we can work together and win. With the help of a mad scientist who understands and dissects these creatures, um, as well as people from the military and um, a nerds, we can just say it, nerds, work together and use our technology to have a two-fold plan. One, to distract the enemy. Second, to infiltrate the enemy's base of operations and set off a nuclear explosion in their base of operations while hopefully getting out and returning and saving the day. You know what? They do that. They successfully do everything with a lot of sacrifice. And at the end of the day, you have two people and a bunch of planes flying overhead and everything feels hoorah, we rock. What movie did I just describe? Hate, hate the, hate the game, not the player. <laughs> Independence Day and Pacific Rim. Oh, I, you, you know what? I've never seen Independence Day. You know, it's not terrible. I mean, I think it's uh, Emmerich's best movie by far. It has iconic yeah. moments, and and it, I, I have deny nost- it. And I have nostalgic um, value of that movie. But I was kind of awed how similar these movies were. Now, in tone and mythology. And in a, a in a in a numerous specifics, this movie is completely different. But I couldn't help but think that um, the screenplay had a lot of help from Independence Day, and at, at least in its structure. All right. Well, I was gonna say again, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it 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 doesn't bother me, especially since I've never seen an Independence Day, even though I, mm-hmm. I assume it's pretty pretty entertaining. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's dumb fun. Which is how yeah. I described uh, Pacific Rim at first, but I backed off that because yeah, I th- it, it, it's legit fun. Yeah, I think I I mean I mean when you say this is this is big dumb fun, I mean I think that you know like I said, no one's gonna look at this a, as a way to write a movie. I mean, there's definitely you know there's definitely issues. I'm not I'm not I'm not backing off of that, but <clears throat> but this is the. This is beyond the Michael Bay, Paul, yes. w, Paul W. S. Anderson pantheon of stupid action movies. Even if they, even if in some cases they can be fun. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It, um, this is smarter than that, and Guillermo del Toro, and I, the, the people involved are smarter than that, I think. I, I loved how I could see the action in this movie, unlike the over-edited Michael Bay movies. Oh my god, were, I, I was going to mention that, yeah. I love how I can see what is going on, especially... It, okay, I take that back. The, the scene I said earlier with the young Mako getting saved by Stack of Pentecost and other characters. By the way, the names are awesome in this movie. I love, <laughs> I love the names in this movie. But I don't remember um, any of them, but yeah, go but, ahead. But if you, if you just go to the IMDb page, Hannibal Chow, Herc Henson. I remember Buckley, Hannibal Chow. I remember Hannibal Chow. <laughs> Roy Lee Beckett. It's just, it's just badass. Um, but I, I love the Hong Kong battle. Even though it's set at night and some people complain that's hard to see, I saw everything. I felt I felt very aware of the surroundings. It was well conceived and well choreographed fight scene between well, these aw- these awesome Del Toro looking monsters, which will always draw me to a Guillermo Del Toro movie, yeah. and and the robots, just the epic fights that they have in, in nighttime um, Hong Kong. And, and at one point, in the bottom of the ocean. But, oh yeah, but but here's the thing, with being able to see the movie. Uh, I've heard people, you know, numerous people going to see this in conventional 3D, mm-hmm. saying it makes it too dark. And I, I tend to avoid I tend to avoid 3D movies um, unless there's a there's a specific purpose for the 3D, a la um, Avatar, because mm-hmm. one, that that is one of the reasons. Um, and you know, most of the battles here, most of the stuff with the monsters takes place in dark. Not either the night or dark areas like the bottom of the ocean. Um, <clears throat> there's the one scene with the young Mako is the only one in daytime I can think of. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing: if you're gonna see this movie, either see it in uh, at a conventional theater in 2D, I did, or see it in IMAX 3D because I've heard that's the only 3D that's lit properly. Speaking of which, I I I. I I really want to see it again in IMAX. Uh, mm-hmm. I know I know I'm kind of blowing my money on it. I don't, I don't like to go to IMAX that often, but this is like the movie that was made for IMAX for me. Yeah, I don't think this movie's gonna be quite as much fun at, at a home setting, even though it'll still be fun, obviously. But yeah. um, the the only movies in 3D I'll see is if they're shot in 3D in the first uh-huh. place. Um, Prometheus. Yeah. Uh, Ridley Scott did a. Gr- I mean, the, the movie's flawed. Um, people have gone round and round, <laughs> but that movie looks amazing. The and I, and I'm one to give credit to certain parts of a filmmaking crew and their art direction and special effects and cinematography team did their job and did it well. Also, Life of Pi. I saw that. In yes. And I was very. Hugo, ha- I was very happy. Hugo did. too. Hugo. Hugo was fan. Hugo had one of the best uses of 3D. I've it, it might, heard. other than Life of Pi, it might be my favorite. Avatar was first, so they get credit, but I've never been an Avatar fan, so. Okay. All right. Um. So we're at a consensus. We both really love. Two thumbs up. <laughs> we both love Pacific Rim. We're not at quite uh, a consensus with our next film. Uh. Mm-hmm. The latest from uh, Nicholas Winding Refn, Only God Forgives. Um. Because I, uh, how, how, since you're the one that likes this movie, we'll let you, uh, we'll let you um, explain, dis- discern what this, what the fuck this movie was about. Nicholas Winding Refn or Refn's movie Only God Forgives is again starring Ryan Gosling and features a, an, an interesting supporting cast highlighted by Kristen Scott Thomas as 
uh, Gosling's mother and Gosling's character in the, in the movie is named Julian. Um, as well as a, uh, a Chinese police officer or some sort of lawman uh, named Chang, who ends up being sort of the antagonist for our anti-hero, I would say. <coughs> now, this movie has, if you look at the Rotten Tomatoes page, I guarantee right now it says about 33%. Um, my, one of my favorite critics, A.O. Scott, gave it a zero-star film, and I think his last zero-star film was um, that Adam Sandler cross-dressing movie. So he obviously thinks they're the same amount of quality, and a lot of people do. And, and I was actually going into this film with extreme lowered expectations. I wanted to see it because I am an unabashed fan of Drive. It is one of my favorite movies of the last three years and probably my second favorite. Maybe, you know, The, the Tree of Life and a Separation are the only other two movies even sniffing Drive for 2011 and my favorite films of that year. Because I just love the way that Reifen, or Reifen made his film look. I love the, the ambiance. I love the, the music, the cinematography. I loved how he could get a really interesting performance. It's Gosling's first quote-unquote silent performance. He kind of repeated it a bit in this film. But also, um, also in uh, The Place Beyond Pines a bit. Even though he does yeah. have more dialogue in that movie than, than either of these two. And when people were saying he literally says 17 words... He did have a little bit more dialogue than that, though I will grant that he is still mostly silent in this film. The There are two aspects of this film I think are flawless, and they're not enough to save the movie. I think there are other things that save the movie. But the two things that are amazing and probably best of the year, I would rack up to cinematography, set design. I would put that together, the way the movie looks, um, and, and uh, uh, Martinez's score. Um, I, I love the music in this movie. Uh, I wouldn't say it's quite as good as Drive, but it didn't rely on, on actual songs and chromatics tracks like Drive did. It was actually more of a traditional score. But, I mean, the music of Drive is pretty much peerless uh, when it comes to using that sort of 80s throwback chic. Um, it's the, I think it's the best done of, of that sort of genre of sounds that I've heard in a film. But th what saves this movie for me and feel free to disagree, is I actually think it's doing a lot of really interesting thing, a lot of interesting things. It really surprised me that it wasn't as shallow, because I had read a lot of negative reviews, so I was going into this as just a service to the director, because I'm a fan. But I was like, he's still doing some really interesting things. I think he has a sense of humor about him that people are not, um, are not, are not I won't say getting, because that sounds snarky and douchebag of me, but not not communicating with, they, they don't feel as if the director is, has earned his cheekiness. Because I think a lot of people are interpreting this movie as very um, misogynistic, which actually is an issue I do have with the movie. Macho, hyper-violent, and without purpose or direction. Is that where you lie with it? <sighs> kind of. Okay, uh, explain yourself, and, and then I'll go into more detail. I want to I hear what you think. Okay, look, this is... I Okay, I do not love Drive. I mm -hmm. really like Drive. All right? mm -hmm. I, I, do, I do find a lot of flaws with it that I don't think a lot of other people necessarily point out, but that's fine. Uh, people can like a movie all they want, and I, you know, I don't let that affect my opinion. <clears throat> 
like I don't like Drive less because a lot of people like it. I just I think it's a, I think it's a really good movie. I think it's a strong performance by Gosling. Um, strong score, you know, the music, real human being, yeah, whatever. It's all good. This movie takes everything that I don't like about Drive and mm-hmm. turns it up to 11 and and doesn't have any of the positive the, the positive aspects of Drive for me. Mm-hmm. For, for one, Ryan Gosling, bless his heart, I, I, I love him to death. He's, he's not only phoning it in on this movie, he's I, – I feel like he's being a self-parody here because – I mean, it's another one of the the brooding, silent guy performances. And, like, you can do that, but it's been four in a row by now. And, it, it, I mean, I it's a little hard for me to take it seriously. And it, it's, even, it's even harder for me to take it seriously because whether it be the script or the direction or just referen, reference decision or anything, there is, like, no characterization of this guy for me at all. The only, or like anyone in the movie, I mean, the only two, the only two people I can remember in this movie are the mom played by Kristen Scott Thomas, who I actually think delivers a pretty bad performance. I think she just camps it, camps it the fuck up, man. She turns the camp level to eleven. I already used that ex- expression, but you, you get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And the perceived antagonist of the movie, the the chief. Uh, once again, I'm blanking on names, which I thought I thought he was awesome. I was rooting for him the whole the whole freaking movie. I mean, I feel like we're only asked to root for Gosling because he's Ryan Gosling, because mm-hmm. he's he's the character that this movie decided to focus on. I was rooting for the for that guy the whole time. All the scenes I like involve him. I you know there's kind of a torture not not a torture scene but. A scene where he's, let's just say, mutilating someone. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, you know, there's a really sick, like, he, he carve, he like carves shit into his eyes and, in mm-hmm. uh, with the ears. The hyper violence of this movie, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. I, mm-hmm. I don't think it's gratuitous. I don't think, I, I think that I think there are, I think there are violent scenes in Dry that are a little more gratuitous than this, even. I would agree with that. Where I have a problem with this movie, I mean, this is just. For me, this is as empty as anything that I've seen this year. It's it's not horrible. It's it's not unwatchable. I I wouldn't ask someone to turn it off, but I I I really didn't I didn't find a purpose to it. I honestly couldn't say that I did. For me, this movie was just an excuse for art direction, and uh, that's uh, that's pretty much all it all it amounted to for me. I actually, I mean, I think most people would agree with you too. I mean, I don't think, I mean, you, you know, you're not in the minority. You're with the, you're with the majority of intelligent, <laughs> intelligent critics. I just, I just didn't leave feeling the same way. Um, what, what I liked about this movie is it, it addresses a different version of a different form of what Drive was addressing. Also, Bronson, if you've ever seen, I love um, Bron. I love, I really like Bronson. I think this is, I've, I have only seen these three movies. I uh, have too. That, I, I, I haven't seen the Hall Rising or anything. Yeah, but uh, Bronson is is uh, my favorite out of the three. Um, I think all three movies are dealing with masculinity, and here's the reason why I think that Reifen has a sense of humor, and 
he reminds me of Kubrick and Lynch to a bit. A lot of people who hate this movie are saying it's a poor version of a twisted David Lynch nightmare. I, yeah, the only, I, yeah, it's kind the, of a the Lynch two, parody, you know. The, the only two parts I agree with are Lynch and Nightmare, because this movie kind of deals with those mas- those masculine themes, and those characters are other than the character in Drive are never root forable in a way as I made that word up because I do not root for um, Bronson. Uh, he is yeah. a brute. Yeah, he is an absolute, absolute brute. And that's sort of the brutish version of masculinity, e- even though all the films have it. In Drive, it's the desire to protect the woman. It's kind of a sexist um, desire. But I don't think the movie is completely giving into it. Because of if you're looking at uh, Refn's other movies, he's always taken a different version of it. And in this most recent one, he's not. I'm not rooting for Gosling at all. I'm. I am for the most part, rooting for Gosling to be better. And does he, I mean, that's a little ambiguous. He, uh, we'll just say he gets his penance at the end, which goes to the, the title of the film, and what I think Chang represents in that film, a father figure. Because it has this weird, bizarre Oedipal thing where you find out that Kristen Scott Thomas's character hates Gosling, prefers his older brother, who's killed at the beginning of the film. His There's- older brother... There's like an there's like an implied incest in this movie as well. Absolutely. I mean, there's a, there's a yes. conversation about the dead brother's dick. At some yeah, point. and how it's bigger than Gosling's. It's and then she rubs his arm when they first see each other. Yes, absolutely. And what did she have Gosling do? She had Gosling kill her husband, his father. So there's obviously very strong Oedipal um, psychology going on. Whether or not the characters are um, Communicating it well is an, is is up for debate, but it, it does set its terms for theme, and there are themes in the film. All right, um, the, um, I, can, I I can contest to that. The um, I loved how this movie. It was actually uh, the cinematographer was was one of the people who worked on Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut, and I, I see a lot. Oh, of cinema- really? Yeah, I don't. I'm, I, yeah. I need to double check if it's the actual cinematographer, but it's one. It's someone who worked on that film. I also think it felt like Lost Highway and Inland Empire, less so Mulholland Drive, but that same era yeah. of Lynch film where everything is just kind of bizarre and dreamlike because there are scenes where I wonder, was that imagined or not? And what what is Gosling's character going for? What is he reaching for? And by the end of the film, you, you get his issue. Um, and the one moment where his character isn't pure evil, in my opinion, is when he's supposed to put a hit on Chang's family. And he... I think that's the moment he has a shift. Now, a few things that I think could improve this movie are make his girlfriend slash prostitute a character because out of all the people who, who out of all the people that everyone complains about not being characters, I think she is the one who's most seriously uh, shorted. Also, it would have been interesting because it's so minimalistic in dialogue, including for Chang. Um, that just have no dialogue in this film, except for maybe Kristen Scott Thomas's character, because she's kind of the pusher and the mover in a way. She kind of gets the plot moving. Well, if there's going to be little dialogue, I mean, put some characterization in there. I, I mean, you're probably seeing it differently than me, but I didn't, I, I, I could not tell the difference between Gosling's character in this, Gosling's character in Drive, hell, even Gosling's character in. In a place beyond the pines, even. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want Gosling to do a movie like Crazy Stupid Love or fuck, fuck Half Nelson back in yeah. 2006. That's my favorite performance of his, and no one seems to ever talk about it anymore. Anyway, 
I mean, I would agree. Um, I, I think an issue outside of this film is that he definitely needs to start reaching outside of the box a bit. He does seem to be getting in the comfort zone, but at the same time, in this film, I was still engaged with what his character was doing because it is his the actions of his character are completely different than the actions of the characters in the other films. I mean, and I'm going to specifically reference Drive because it's both come from the same mind, um, the, the same auteur, as it were. The Drive was like a good dream, you know. The movie is it makes you feel pretty good, even though it's gory and the end is ambiguously sad. But there's still this sense of he's he's doing just things, even though he's capable of great violence. And in this yeah. film, and in this film, he's only capable of great violence. And you know what? Turns out he's not even that good. Um, yeah, he he okay. brutally he brutally killed his dad, but he is pathetic. And I actually like that they really make him out to be pathetic. You look and you judge harshly of this character. He he yells at his slat girlfriend, whatever, to take off her clothes. He um he totally gives in to his mother's every whim, even though it's completely stupid. And then he finally tries to get in a fight with this guy who's obviously superior in every way. This sort of Old Testament vengeful god, which goes back to the title. And then the, his penance by the end of the movie. Um, another movie I really thought this... Uh, I mean, I, I actually read this one. This isn't my own thinking. But Refn was referencing... Um, the death of a Chinese bookie by Casavetes a bit in this movie. And actually the last scene really reminds me of it. The sort of character who is sort of some sort of, ex it's more existential than realistic um, representation of this sort of machismo attitude, which is why I think he's, he's winking at the camera, even though I don't know if he makes it obvious enough. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't say that I got that impression, but, you know, open to interpretation. There's only a couple more things I really want to say. I want to bring, <clears throat> I want to talk about this movie's relationship with women, which you brought yeah. up a little bit. I mean, mm -hmm. even beyond Gosling's horror—I'm sorry for using the term horror—her her prostitute not being a character. I mean, okay, th there is great gender inequality in numerous parts of Asia, including Bangkok, where, which this movie is takes place in. <clears throat> But the way the women are used in this movie is so, like, ornamental. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, it didn't offend me because that would suggest that it's effective on some level. But it, I mean, it, it reminded me of the, the horrible ways, uh, of the horrible ways that, Bl that Baz Luhrmann used black people in his horrible Great Gatsby film. Mm. Which, you know, you, you haven't seen it, thank God. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> it just... It, I mean, the only characterization of black people is just standing around looking like like butlers, basically, and um, playing trumpet on on some New York City fire escape. Mm -hmm. the, those are the only the only two roles that black people can have in that movie, and and in, and in this movie, the only the only roles that women can have are to be prostitutes. Or to, be, or, to, or to otherwise be in service of men, and that didn't that didn't offend me, but I just thought I just found that to be a little lazy. Yeah, um, I, I can see. I, I think they were used the same way in Drive, but I mean, I know you don't buy my interpretation, which is fine. But I would just say that that goes back to the sort of look Macho. at me. Yeah, the the, the, the machismo ness of the rest of it, because you remember in Drive, uh, whenever they walk in with Ron Perlman's, or I think. At, it's around the time 
whenever he's hunting down Ron Perlman with, with all the strippers. And they're all literally just sitting there like mannequins, bare-breasted. Um, all, and even um, Carrie Mulligan's character is just an... I mean, she's a reason for Oscar Isaacs to protect when he gets back from prison, and she's a reason for Gosling to protect after Isaacs is killed. And and the most ornamental character, I think, in any Reffin movie I've ever seen is Christina Hendricks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have a good point with that. Um, but, but, yeah, but this is, this is, okay, this is an example of a movie where I'm never going to, I think, get into an argument with someone about it because I think Reffin is intentionally making a movie which, for good and for bad, I like it, but I also acknowledge that it's an issue. That is open to such interpretation that if it catches fire with a negative interpretation, a lazy and a bad and a uh, a parody interpretation, um, I think it's legitimate. I, I think people are not necessarily wrong. I just I see it differently, and I'll fight with my thirty three percent, and that will just kind of sit together, nod and agree, like yeah, we liked it. All right, that'll be just what it'll be, I suppose. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, uh, I'm going to talk about a couple movies that I saw that you didn't necessarily see. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is a movie I saw yesterday, actually, before I saw Only God Forgives. Uh, Only God Forgives was in the same theater as this movie was, but it was at a wrong time, and I, I wanted to see this more. And I, I saw Only God Forgives online, let's just say. I saw it online. Let's just say that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm talking about The Way, Way Back, um, which is direct – which is uh, directed by um, Jim Rash and Nat, Nat, Nat Faxon, who mm-hmm. both won Oscars in, 20, uh, in in 2011 or 2012 is when the ceremony was yeah. for um, for The Descendants with George Clooney. Uh, this is they wrote this movie, but they also co-directed it. Uh, this is their debut as far as directing goes. Um, Jim Rash um, plays Deanley Dean Pelton on Community. And Dean. <laughs> And uh, Nat Nat Faxon is he was on the short-lived uh, Ben and Kate, which I didn't watch. I'm only familiar with the movies he's written. Um, but uh, the way way back, um, I'm just, let me pull up the Wikipedia page for it. It's basic. It, okay, um, let me just read the the plot synopsis. The story of a 14-year-old Duncan's summer vacation with his mother Pam, her overbearing overbearing boyfriend Trent played by uh, Steve Carell, and Trent's daughter, Steph. Having a rough time fitting in, the introverted Duncan finds an unexpected friend in Gregarious Owen, played played by uh, Sam Rockwell, manager of the Water Wiz Water Park. Through his funny, clandestine friendship with Owen, Duncan slowly opens up and begins to finally find his place in the world, all during a summer he will never forget. Look, as you can tell, this movie is pretty formula just as you could argue that Pacific Rim is pretty formula. Mm-hmm. How, however, I just found this so unbelievably charming and so full of heart and wit that I I, I just embraced this movie. I, 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 I loved it, I gotta say. Um, the guy who plays the kid, uh, Liam James, I might have seen a couple things he's done, but, I mean, he perfectly embodies just the unhappy preteen i mean not to get too personal but this kid reminded me of me when i was a little bit before his age um 
And, you know, it it very much is a Summer That Changed Everything movie. But it's a really good Summer That Changed Everything movie. And it's... Uh, and, 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 and I really like movies like this when, when they're done well, when they're done with this much heart and just love for the characters. I mean, you can tell that the writers and directors of the movie, they love these characters. And, you know, and, and you can argue that some of them are kind of sitcom-y. Like Allison Janney, who I actually think steals the whole thing whenever she's in it, plays, um, like, the drunk, wacky neighbor next door. But not only is she kind of fleshed out in, in, in a really interesting way, but she also has, like, some of the best one-liners in, <laughs> in the whole movie. I mean, there's this whole thing, like, her kid has a lazy eye, and usually making fun of someone with a lazy eye or something like that would be a, just a super lazy way to go about it. See what I did there? <laughs> I did. But, good God, it's it, it's just so, so funny. And, and uh, Steve Carell plays a really unlikable guy. I mean, you'd think that there would be a point in the movie where He'd open up and you see, oh, he he means well, this, this, and that. No, he's he is a dick. He's a dick from front to back. And I I have never seen Steve Carell like like Steve Carell. You know, I like him a lot. He plays, you know, either the lovable doofus like Michael Scott on The Office, or just like the everyman, you know, like on like in the Forty Year Old Virgin. Mm-hmm. In this movie, he's really testing the limits of. How much do you you can tolerate this guy, and well, not tolerate, but like like him. And uh, and 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 this movie it it also it also has a really moving relationship between uh, the kid Duncan and his mom, played by played pretty nicely by Tony Collette. Nice. Um, uh, I I don't want to give away everything, but all the people. All the people in the park and the in the water park, uh, Sam Rockwell, he's very great. He he, he kind of channels uh, Bill Murray in like Meatballs, or various incarnations of Chevy Chase, like the fast talking, grown up kid. And uh, Maya Rudolph gets some great stuff. I always love seeing Maya Rudolph in anything. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jim Rash and Nat Faxon both play people in the water park as well, and they're very funny, especially Jim Rash. Um, I just thought I just thought this was a this was just a very adorable, um, sweet little movie, and uh, I definitely think that you should check it out if you if it's in a well just talking generally, if it's you know in a theater near you near you, or uh, you know once it gets on DVD. Um, I think it looks I think it looks really good. I also really like the Descendants though, so it makes me want to see it more, even if it doesn't have the. Alexander Payne touch, which I always appreciate Alexander Payne. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but I'm most definitely intrigued to see it. I mean, it has a great cast, but by the looks of it. Yeah. When I saw the trailer, I, I was a little turned off. I mean, I, lo- I loved like nearly every person that I saw. Like we just look at the cast list. There's so many people where I just like stop and go, Oh, I love him. Oh, I love her. You know, mm-hmm. I, I love everyone in this movie, but the trailer, I thought eh, it's, it's, Really cutesy, is really Sundancey, but this this movie it's it's it definitely has its contrivances, but it's much sweeter. It's much sweeter than that, and mm-hmm. you know there's a moment at the end of the movie, con- concerning this kid and his mom, that's like, 
it's just so simple, but it's just so sweet and and in its own way kind of moving. It was a li- it was like a little bit like the last the last couple shots of Francis Ha, which we talked about last month. Mm-hmm. Um, the, just that level of just simplicity, but just it, it, it touches you in a way. And I'm not, I'm not I'm not trying to make much more of this movie than it, than it really is, but you know I just think it's a really really great you know coming of age um, film, and there haven't been a whole lot, a whole lot of those that I could really tolerate lately, so I was really happy with this. Hasn't everyone had a summer that changed their life though? I mean I think <laughs> people say it's cliche, but I'm pretty sure everyone at least has had that significant summer that they think about every summer. <laughs> So to at least a certain extent. Yeah, and then um, one other one other movie I wanted to talk about was um, I saw this like a few weeks ago. Um, Joss Whedon's um, adaptation of Much Ado About Nothing. I was very excited for this. You know, it's it's Joss Whedon. I'm a big fan of his. I love most of the TV work I've seen of his. It's a lot of Whedon regulars. Like um, I'm sorry. Let me pull up the Wikipedia page of this. Um, I know Alexis Denisoff from, I think from Dollhouse actually. We talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. He plays uh, the lead, um, Benedict. Amy Acker is Beatrice. Uh, Nathan Fillion, um, Clark Gregg, Reed Diamond, um, Fran Kranz, who I, I loved last year in Cabin in the Woods. They're all in it, and um, I gotta say the. the if you look on Rotten Tomatoes, it's in the 80s. A lot of people are liking this. I was very disappointed. Mm. Um, I'm going to keep it sort of succinct because I can't remember a whole lot of the points that I've made. But uh, for, first of all, I mean, I I know this movie was shot in like a few days. It, it was shot when Joss Whedon was on break for The Avengers, for example. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's really just a lot of his friends getting together and just having fun. And I get that, and that's that can be good. But the production value of this film is, like, remarkably low. I mean, even down to, like, the font they use on the title, the title cards. I mean, it looks like it was made on, like, Windows Movie Maker, for mm-hmm. example. Just the way the movie looks. I mean, it's, it's shot in black and white. It's shot in, the, like, the most... It's shot in the least interesting black and white I've seen in a long time. It looks like they just went in the editing room and just put on the black and white filter and just left it at that. I mean, uh, these two movies have nothing to do with each other other than being in black and white. But if you compare that to um, Francis Ha, which is also in black and white, and it has this like depth to it, just 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 judging by the way it looks, you know, it it, it looks like Manhattan from Woody Allen, or it looks like a an old French New Wave film, and it, it just it's just great to look at. Um, much Ado About Nothing it doesn't need to look like that, but it just lo- it just looks like plain to me. Alexis Denisoff, I haven't seen a whole lot of else of what he's done, but he, I just did not think he was a good Benedict. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's Shakespeare is is not something that every actor can do. Um, it, it's not something that will just come naturally to every actor, and I think not lot, everyone's Florence Olivier. Yeah, but like like even a lot of people in this movie can you know can pull it off and make it seem all right. Not not everyone, but uh, Alexis Senesov. I mean, 
every line just sounded awkward and that, that he just sounded like the inflection was in the wrong place. Um, it, it was just delivered poorly and he tries to make up with it with this level of physical comedy and it doesn't totally work. I just, I just, I just did not buy him as a report as a, a performer. I He'd thought probably be better than Charlie Hunnam though, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose. <laughs> I thought, I thought that um, well, Nathan Villian he plays Dogberry and he was one of the he's one of the funnest parts of the movie. I, I mean, was I, I could picture him doing that really well. Yeah, I, I always love Nathan Villian. I'll, I'll watch anything he's in, but he would have been a better Benedict even. Yeah. Um, and just also, you can tell that maybe the actors were having fun, but this movie just has long stretches of just boredom. And 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 I love Shakespeare. I mean, I used to read mm-hmm. Shakespeare for fun. I mean, I haven't done it in a few years, but like when I was in ninth grade, I read I read a bunch of Shakespeare for fun because I was a loner back in ninth grade and I didn't have anything else to do. And no I, worse I, ways to spend your time. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, I, I was in theater all through high school, and I, I did Shakespeare. I'm not saying, oh, I did Shakespeare. I did high school Shakespeare, all right? Mm-hmm. But but I'm a fan. And, and uh, you know, I've seen Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing, and I, I was floored. I loved it. I, oh, I really? Loved... Yeah. You, you don't I like thought... it? Uh-uh. Um, I don't hate it, though. Okay, maybe, very... okay, maybe I wasn't floored, but I remember, I, I remember liking it. <laughs> Um, I lo- I've seen it twice, once when I was young and once when I was older in a Shakespeare class in college, and I'm also a huge fan, which which really disappoints me what you're saying about the film. I'll probably still see Joss Whedon's at some point just to give it a try, but at the same time, it does make me a little sad at what you're saying, but I believe you. <laughs> um, it, yeah. I, I, I can see that from the trailer um, a bit, but Brana's, I love Brana's versions of Shakespeare. I love his Hamlet. Even though it's really long, but he wants he wanted to include everything in it, so I, I was totally okay with it because it's Hamlet, greatest play yeah. probably of all time. Um, but and I also enjoy um, his Henry V, also very well done, and I like him as Iago in Othello, though I forget the director for that film. I'm pretty o- sure Othello was my favorite Shakespeare, by the way. I just want to throw that out there. Do you do you like the movie version? Yeah, I thought it was great. He, uh, Fishburne and Brana play off each other very well. I'm a big yeah. fan of that adaptation. But uh, um, what's your beef with his much do about nothing? I it's see, it's not even major. It's just it's a it's uh, I don't know. I just didn't find it as charming as it was when I was reading the play. I just didn't I didn't get the feeling. I didn't like Keanu Reeves and oh well. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I love I Denzel Washington. <laughs> I bet Denzel Washington can play a hell of. A Richard the Third, or a King Lear, or something. Those are both roles I've heard that Denzel wants to play. I bet he'd knock it out of the park. But in this movie, he was just pointless. I mean, the character is important in the play, but I don't know. I don't know. It's just some. There's some corniness to it that I think is dated a bit. I think because yeah. I disliked it more in the second watch when I was in college. I think that has hurt my view. Maybe if I was to watch it again, I could get over it. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe. It just rubbed me the wrong way a bit, even though I wouldn't say it's a bad movie. I mean, e- even as far as Shakespeare's comedies go, Much Ado About Nothing isn't one of my favorites. I, I much prefer um, uh, Merchant of Venice or mm-hmm. Twelfth Night. Those are my those are my two picks for his his comedies. His comedies are basically all the same, and I think those two um, are the only ones that really offer up something different. 
much to do about nothing. You know, it, it it's fun. It's it's charming, but you know, but it's much to do about nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, um I really I like the Twelfth Night movie with Ben Kingsley. That one's solid. I haven't seen it actually. Ben Kingsley plays a really good fool. He does a good job. Yeah, I gotta say the only times in this movie I really had genuine fun was, uh, like I said, anything with Nathan Fillion, and uh, also um, any scene with um, when Clark Gregg, Reed Diamond, and Frank Cranston together. They play Leonardo, Don Pedro, and Claudio, mm -hmm. and uh, those are the characters that try to get Beatrice and Benedict together, and they play off each other very, very nicely. Um, Clark Gregg, you know, he plays Phil Coulson in uh, the Avengers, mm -hmm. the Avengers yeah. movies, and he's he's officially my new favorite person. I just think he's adorable. I just, he's amazing. Yeah, I think he's fantastic. Um, our Reed Diamond, I haven't seen a whole lot of what he's done, but I really, I really like him in this. Um, he he was also in Dollhouse. What do you know? Mm -hmm. He was also in The Shield. Um, and Frank Kranz, I already mentioned, I I loved him in um, uh, Cabin in the Woods. And uh, I, also, I also love him in a really tiny movie that no one saw called um, The TV Set. It's kind of a satire of um, the, the television business. It also has uh, David Duchovny and um, Sigourney Weaver in it. Um, but I digress. Yeah, it, it's a disappointment, unfortunately. But, you know, I'm still looking forward to anything Joss Whedon does after, after that. He wants to do a ballet he, on the Colbert Report. He said that. Really? It, yeah. Huh. Well, all right. <laughs> uh, last word on this film. Michael Keaton or Nathan Fillion as Dogberry? Ooh. Um, Michael Keaton. That was the best part of the Brana version. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, Michael Michael Keaton. Yeah. I, I love me some Nathan Fillion, but Michael Keaton, man. He's hard to beat. All right. Um, our next segment, I think I'm going to tentatively title Hemp My Movie. Um, there's three older movies I've been watching lately, or I have watched lately. Um, one I did watch more than once, actually, because it's kind of confounding in a great way. So, without further ado... Um, about nothing. Yeah, about nothing, really. I'm going to talk about The Mirror by Andrei Tarkovsky. Just a bit. Just a quick little... I recommend it. Um, oh, 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 before you go on. Yes. Um, did you catch the credits for Only God Forgives? This, this, yes. It was dedicated to Andre, um, Alejandro Tartakovsky. No, it, it, it was uh, Jardaworski. Oh, fuck. No, but it, I'm glad that you bring that up, though, because... Um, it's a clear influence on Only God Forgives. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay, that, uh, that, that, was, that was dumb of me. <laughs> no, oh, no, but it was a great segue. I appreciate it. Because I wouldn't say the mirror, but Tarkovsky's style in general is very Kubrick- he, he was very influenced by Kubrick and vice versa um, because he made most of his big films in the 70s uh, Solaris, the original version, not the Soderbergh version um, uh. Yeah, he did not make the Soderbergh version of Solaris yeah. um, it, but he also has some great movies in the 60s Andrei Rublev is a great movie about an, icon, uh, um, an iconographer uh, painter uh, set in medieval Russia and that movie is just black, black and white start and it just looks authentic it's also three hours long, so it's a trek. Uh, but the mirror, the mirror is the uh, third Tarkovsky movie I've seen, and it might be my favorite that I've seen so far. It's a, it's pretty much makes Terrence Malick's films look linear. Huh. It, really? Yeah, 
it's a, I, I would not doubt if he was an influence on Terrence Malick. So when we say that all these new films are very Malick-like, I wonder if Tarkovsky is not the better reference. Because it, it the movie oscillates a lot between uh, three storylines, all of the same character who is in a way autobiographical of Tarkovsky himself. Him as a child in rural Russia uh, before um, world, the World War II. Him as a teenager during World War II. And then uh, some sort of late 60s, early 70s adult version of the same character. And he has a child. Here's what gets confusing. Uh, the, main, the, the main actress in this film, um, uh, Margarita T uh, Tarakova, and forgive my mispronunciations to all Russian listeners, she <laughs> plays his mother, but also his wife when he's an adult. And then there's the kid who plays the little kid version of him, but also, uh, or the teenage version, the 12-year-old version, and also his own child. So you start getting confused on what happens. But I, I mean, there's no doubt that this is completely um, on purpose. There are these slow tracking shots um, of moving through a room where all these curtains are coming up. It's sort of just poetic um, how you feel, this dreamlike feeling that you get from reminiscing on your past. It, I think that's really what it's going for. Um, there's there's very vivid shots of a barn on fire, and it's just so surreal. It doesn't even feel like it's happening. But again, a lot of these are not, not only can be interpreted as memories, but also dreams. So the uh, first time I watched the movie, I, I would have given a strong seven to light eight. I knew it was great, but I just didn't. It didn't click. I'm like, there's something up with this movie. So I watched it again the next morning, and I would say it's a solid ten film. It is really you just yeah you just get this feeling. You you begin to like you begin to feel as Tarkovsky feels. I mean, as you watch it, the sort of reminiscing, uh, the sort of looking back on life, the sort of just—I don't know. I'm—I'm uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words just because I—I was so impressed by it the second time. I wasn't bored either, which you know, a lot of times when you rewatch a movie the next morning after a late night of pondering about it, you're like, it get kind of boring to rewatch it because you just did. But this movie is not based on plot at all, so therefore. It's not as easy to get bored, I think, but it also right. could be it could be frustrating. So I'll, I'll certainly try to check it out. Um, it, I think it might be on YouTube, um, but uh, but but I Netflix it. I think the DVD. I don't think it's on streaming. It should be though. Huh. Also voted the ninth greatest movie of all time by directors on the Sight and Sound poll last year. Huh. So influential. All um, right. Uh, another movie. I'll be quicker on this one because it's simpler to, to communicate why I loved it. <laughs> All the President's Men from 1976, starring Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman, directed by Alan J. Pakula. This movie is the procedural that gave us all the awesome procedurals of today. It's about Watergate. It takes place four years after the actual Watergate scandal and is about how the people working at the Washington Post, namely Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward, had to do everything to protect themselves, but also get the truth out there, no matter who they pissed off. Hint, hint, the president of the United States. It is so good. It is not boring. It's uh, well, What was the runtime on that movie? It was about hundred, uh, about uh, two and a half hours, but it, it flies by quickly. It reminds me a lot of Zodiac. And also oh, another, a more controversial, and... <laughs> And you would agree with that with that word, uh, zero dark thirty. Yeah. The the, the, the sort of how how did this occur? 
Um, this one, however, instead of being based on reporting, was based on a book written two years after the Watergate scandal, as they were actually um, putting some of these people behind bars and President Nixon resigned. But it's just Hoffman and Redford, you follow them through this story. I mean, th they are based on real people. They're not. So in that, in that way, they're kind of archetypes for what it represents to be um, to working in, in news and having some sort of uh, honesty about yourself, to want to actually reveal the truth to the American public and not be, you know, what we kind of expect today with the root of all evil, i.e. TMZ, <laughs> which is what people care about and they don't really care about actual important information. Um, I wonder if that WikiLeaks movie coming out is going to have this sort of procedural feel or if it's going to try to, to dramatize it too much. That's what the trailer um, communicated to me. Um, I don't know. You you know my opinions on that. I, I don't want to yeah. get too much into it on the podcast. Yeah. Um, it, it might be, end up being more social network, which <clears throat> probably not yeah, probably not, of the, not of the quality though, because social network is really good with the drama. Aspect. Yeah, but yeah, but turning WikiLeaks into the social network is just really morally wrong yeah. to me. Yeah, because Facebook is not as big of a deal, even <laughs> if it is sort of a mirror. Facebook. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so All the President's Men, uh, strong nine, if not a 10. It's really great movie, important historical document, I think, and entertaining. Um, I love it. Today, the last one I'll talk about, The Rules for the Game, wrote it, uh, voted the fourth best movie of all time in the Sight and Sound poll by wow. Jean Renoir. Um, 1939, Bedroom Farce. And... It's pretty entertaining. I, it's not really a comedy. There are some funny moments. Um, but this, this 1939 French film is just, it's incredibly influential in the cinematography, uh, especially on Citizen Kane that came out the year or two years later, um, in the, that it uses deep focus shots where you don't have the shallow focus where you're looking at one thing and everything behind that person is buzzed or vice versa. Instead, everything is in focus, and some of the important plot points are actually happening behind the characters as they're as they're like trying to get away, sneak away, and you know do something. And 1939, that would have been viewed as very controversial, but we'll just say had sex. Um, it's, <laughs> I haven't had a lot of time to think about this movie, so I just watched it a few hours ago. But I can say, after watching it instantaneously, I recommend it. It's obviously an important film. Um, historically influential on many different types of film. But it also has some interesting things to say about um, rich people and poor people because a lot of the a lot of the servants working for this lord in, in France in the, in the late 30s, um, this sort of arist aristocrat, you know, character um, who's cheating on his wife and his wife's interested in someone else. And then the servants are also cheating on each other. And there's this huge party that everyone's having and people are starting to punch each other. Someone brought a gun and started shooting it off. It's kind of crazy, but it plays it like a drama, which is really interesting to me as opposed to a comedy. So um, that's all I really have to say about the rules of the game, but I most definitely, again, recommend it. So that is all for my little spiel about movies I've seen lately. All right. Um, let's... Let's transition now into you know we're we're past the halfway point of the year. It's July twentieth as um, as of the recording of this podcast. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about some anticipated films um, for the rest of the year. Um, 
I only I only really have one. Uh, I guess we can keep it to one or two because this this is running a little a little bit long. Yep. Um, the one I want to bring up is um, uh, Gravity, the new film by Alfonso Cuarón. I've I've only seen the there's only been one trailer released, but I don't want to see anything else because that trailer it it, it floored me, especially when, especially seeing it on a big screen. I mean, mm-hmm. I get. Trailers never like scare me or make me tense up or anything. I tense the fuck up when I see this. I mean, if you watch it, you know when she's like about to grab the thing, but she doesn't, and I'm just like, ah, no, no, no. And I mean, I, I barely even know what the plot of the, the whole movie is. I mean, I, I I know that they're stranded in space or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. I mean, and uh, apparently those are the only two characters in the whole movie. So it's 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 like a moon scenario where it's just mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell and Sam Rockwell, <laughs> yeah. and and Kevin Spacey as a robot. Oh yeah. Um, but this just looks like a bigger version of that, and um, this is this is also an IMAX. I kind of want to see it in IMAX. Mm-hmm. It's, it's one of those movies where I just want to feel just how big and just how small the characters are. You know, I mean, I, I'm death. I, I'd be. I'd love to go into space one day, even though it's probably never going to happen. But once I get there, I'm probably going to freak the fuck out just because of how, like, small I am as compared to everything else. You know, you know what I'm saying? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm also excited because it was shot in 3D. And it oh, really? A, it will not be. A, I, it won't be a post conversion. Oh, really? So, well, so that then, will, that will be that will be exciting. All right. Well, then. Um, the um then the, with, IMAX, then the IMAX 3D should be should be pretty good. Oh, I agree. Um, I've heard that people are laughing during the trailer. Fuck them. It's because I, maybe they find it funny that she's floating into space, and maybe they find it funny because it's Sandra Bullock. But isn't that the most terrifying thought that you could ever have? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like drowning, but in slow motion. Yeah. Like, oh. Ooh. Now. I think it looks yeah. Sorry, that was my cat. Last time we did a podcast, my my ginormous fifteen pound cat almost pushed the computer off, but I was pretty <laughs> pretty slick, and I saved the day in the podcast. But that was my little cat. She's hungry, but she I don't feed her for three more hours, so she can shut up. Yeah. All right, Shima, be quiet. Um, um, I agree. Uh, this is my most anticipated. The only other movie I was even close to being this excited for was Before Midnight, which met every single one of my expectations. Last year, the movie that I was really pumped for was The Master, and it met my expectations. The year, yeah. before, was, the year before was Tree of Life. So I, I, for my personal tastes, at least, my track record for that movie I picked out earlier, like, that's the movie that I'm just going to adore. And usually, that works out pretty well for me. So I'm going to pick Gravity as my prediction for just, if, if it doesn't beat Before Midnight, who cares? It's still going to be a great movie. I'm just Hopefully, so excited yeah. Um, I, I, people who have seen clips and even the full s- sneak screenings of the film, because, I mean, they are done with it. Um, I guess there are mumblings r- uh, around Comic-Con. Say it's like a bigger, better version of Children of, for Men in the way that it's shot, because Emmanuel Lubetsky shot it, and who also does Terrence Malick's movie and all of Caron's movies. Yeah. And, and he is one, obviously one of the great, greatest cinematographers we have. Yeah, the, the movie is good. I just know it's going to contain all those long takes that you wonder how they pull them off. 
it's it's going to be a technical achievement and i am just that is my most anticipated i completely agree with you um i mean of course there are some others i think we're both at least interested in um i i think they're both going to be good cohen brothers inside lewin, lewin davis i'm really excited for Oh, I keep forgetting about that for some reason. I know. Yeah. Around, around Chris, actually, probably wide. Well, you you live over there in California. You might get it actually around Christmas time. I probably won't see it until February because I live in Missouri. Um, Missouri. Missouri, as the terrible people who live here sometimes call it, because there's obviously an A. Um, I'm, <laughs> I, I I kid, but only slightly. Um, also, Scorsese's next movie, Wolf on Wall Street. That looks interesting. The trailer kind of makes me puke. Yeah, it sort of has that that, that Gatsby feel, but I feel like it almost is more. In, it's it's going to be a more interesting take, even though I have no doubt it'll it'll at least be be serviceable. You know, I have I have liked every single Scorsese movie I've seen. I'm even a fan of the yeah. the unpopular, I think, uh, Hitchcock love letter, Shutter Island. Like, I think I think Shutter Island is great. I do not get the hate for that movie at all. Awesome. I, great that means we agree i love and, and so i i just love every scorsese movie i've seen him going through some of his lesser known ones now and they still don't disappoint um yeah. he he's just he, some people say he's the best i don't know if he's my favorite filmmaker we have today but he is certainly the most he's reliable up he's up there oh absolutely i, I think I, I think if they if they're if they're gonna use black skinhead in the sound in the <laughs> trailer at least take out kanye's voice it's so distracting to me i mean <laughs> we, we need an echo effect there. Wait, you you have to give me the synth line because you did that at the last podcast, and that was my favorite moment. <laughs> that was that was the best moment of the last podcast, by the way. Um, I'm excited for those. I'm also excited. I, I I'm excited for a movie that could potentially suck because it could be Oscar bait. And I might not be talking about the one you think I'm talking about. I'm excited for August Osage County, the, the Tracy Let's Play adaptation with, with Meryl Streep. Wait. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to talk about 12 Years a Slave. I knew you were. I actually, that, that'll that be the last one I talk about because I'm excited for that too. Yeah. But the Meryl Streep, um, uh, Ewan McGregor, Benedict Cumberbatch, Sam Shepard, Julia Roberts starring, you know, so, so right there you're like, ooh, Oscar bait, probably going to be cheesy. Ben Cumberbatch I, is in so many things now. I know, which is a, is a good thing, because who doesn't love Ben Benedict oh. Cumberbatch? Oh, I love him. Uh, Sherlock is in my top ten series of all time. I and, have not seen it, but my wife says it's amazing. I need yeah. to listen. <laughs> and uh, just see him in all these American movies, it it just it brings brings a manly tear to my eye. Oh yes, uh, and I have no doubt that he's going to be great um, in this movie. The reason I'm excited is because it is a Tracy Let's Play. I say that like I'm a fanboy, but I've only ever experienced Killer Joe, which I oh, he wrote Killer like. Joe. Tracy, yes, and he and for he, for Killer Joe, he wrote that when he was writing plays in Chicago. Uh, Michael Shannon starred on the stage version. Really? And him and Michael, yeah, him and Michael Shannon are really good friends. He also did Bug. Wait, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really like Bug too. But I haven't seen Bug, but that's on my list because I, I like definitely definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix streaming. If you so have that. Tracy Letts wrote August Osage County, which then so that's what obviously probably his coming out is sort of big play. He won the Pulitzer Prize and a Tony for it. Wow. Okay. So, I am 
Yeah, I'm. Uh, I've never heard of this movie. I, I had no clue this movie was happening until you're you're talking about it now. But uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it now. It, the, the trailer makes it look like family drama Oscar bait, but I have this sneaking suspicion that the people who make trailers are terrible people and never yeah. <laughs> accurately give off a movie. Now, this movie could end up being, because I have not read the play, so I could be completely wrong, but I believe that it just, I can't imagine it being so smaltzy when you have these sort of, these sort of caricatures that are really interestingly done in Killer Joe. But hold on. Mike Shannon played Joe, right? Uh, um, that he was in the play. I don't know if he played Joe, but it's on the stage version, not. Oh in my the- God! If he played Joe, that would be the biggest mindfuck of my life. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he's pretty probably close friends with Tracy Letts since they both worked in Chicago theater together. Oh my God! Because I, I worship Michael Shannon. I think he's just oh, one, easily one of the best. Take shelters, you know. Take shelter. It's fantastic. I recently. Well, not recently. A couple months ago, I saw the Iceman, where he plays Richard Kuklinski. Ooh. Um, the the movie isn't great, but his performance is phenomenal in that one. It's uh, he's he, him and Cumberbatch are just like those character actors you want in every movie. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so August Osage County, I'm expecting a complex family drama that probably is gets pretty twisted. Um, I've actually read the synopsis, so I can actually I can just guarantee. <sighs> that at least parts of it will be interesting. So even if the movie ends up being terrible, Tracy Letts did the own, adapted his own play for the screen. So I'm hoping that the director or actors, I just hope that everything clicks into a movie form. It could be too play-like. But, I'm, but consider me in the anticipating um, level of, it's not going to be a, a pure Oscar bait, but actually be a very interesting film. Okay, and uh, we're going to end with, um, uh, hopefully end, because uh, i got to yes. get going. With yes. uh, 12 Years a Slave? Yes, that, that'll that be our final thing. I'm excited for it. Um, Steve McQueen, I've, I've liked his movies up, up to this point, and unless the, the studio has uh, has just gone in and taken out anything interesting out of this film, I, I think it's going to be one of those rare, edgy movies that has enough for the quote-unquote Academy to get all over. I think that the Academy is going to be very kind to, to this film, even though I haven't seen it, unless it sucks. Because every director is, is due a crappy movie, I guess, unless you're Martin Scorsese. But, I don't know. It just looks really good. Even if some of the moments in the trailer make me wonder if it is a bit neutered. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I posted this on the, on the forum that we're both a part of. But, for some reason... You know, it it does it does look good, I'm, uh, and I am gonna see it. I instantly thought of the scene in Did you did, did you ever see Bowfinger? The I've not seen Bowfinger. Mm-hmm. Okay, well okay, well there's a scene. You know, Eddie Murphy is in it, right? Yes. Yeah, there's a scene where he's like at one of those like Hollywood lunch meetings, and he and he's like, well, "What do I gotta ask?" It? Like, uh, and he's talking about like every white guy needs to play or needs to play a mentally challenged guy. Yeah. Every black person needs to be a slave. He said, "Give mm-hmm. me." He said, "Give me a script with a retarded slave, then I get the Oscar." <laughs> buck the one, buck the wonder slave, and I, I couldn't help but feel like you know, even though the the slave in this movie <laughs> isn't mentally challenged for some reason, that's no. for some reason that's the very first thing I thought of. I really want to read the, the actual slave narrative written by um, the character uh, Solomon Northup because, I mean, the way in the trailer they're playing him, I mean, he's a very, I mean, 
he's an he's a northerner he's a northern black citizen of the country he's very educated and he has to and just the sort of having to go back and see the brutality that happens in the south hopefully they just don't neuter it and they actually make it realistic so we can truly feel bad and and sympathize with our protagonist in this movie oh, steve mcqueen did it so i totally i have faith I'm a yeah by the way um the one uh, uh the going back to august osage county yeah. Uh, the director John Wells also did The Company Men, which I, which I liked a lot. So I'm I'm I have more faith in the in this movie. If it sucks, it sucks, but I will go see it. That is for sure. Um, yeah. I will say, based on the trailer alone, you could probably already give nominations to uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. I think that, I've actually looked it up. It's how you pronounce his name. I can do it. And um, Michael Fassbender. I think they both look like they're going to have their quote-unquote scenes in this film. Yeah. Michael Fassbender looks terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I thought it was just beyond ridiculous that he wasn't nominated for Shame. I mean, uh, Shame, I don't think it's a perfect movie. It's kind of like Drive where a lot of people love it. But mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a little bit stuck, like not in the middle, but like, you know, I I like it. I, I, I don't love it. I, I found some problems with Shame. But... Mm -hmm. I also do not think it is anti do you think it's anti-sex propaganda though? No. No, That's not at all. That was my issue with a lot of the naysayers. It's if you think the movie sucks, you think it sucks, but it's I think that's a misreading of the movie. Yeah, totally. Um But yeah, um Fast Better, he he's just fantastic. He's great in everything. I mean he was the best part about Prometheus. Best part about uh X-Men first class, uh first class. Yeah. So, um, so I guess we'll end on that then. Some some movies we're very very excited for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I will. I think the last thing we should say that the reason we should be excited for Twelve Years a Slave is that Taron Killam is in it from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> so, really? With, I'm just looking at the IMDb. And yes, yes. Alrighty. Well, alright. See these movies, people. Yeah. And uh, thank you very much for tuning in. And we'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye.